Good morning. Go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, where we will begin today. These are wild times, aren't they? This far into our shelter-at-home order, many of you are in a rut. You're feeling financial stress as never before. The kids' schooling is all out of whack, so moms and children alike are just scrambling, trying to tread water. If you're a single adult, you've been thrust into a unique time of isolation. For many of you, in the back of your mind, you continue to have a lurking fear of getting the virus. Like an unwelcome house guest who plopped down on your couch and will not leave. Now, during the season, we're confronted with deep spiritual questions. Why has God let this happen? How long will this go on? Why must the world be so broken? What's my eternal hope in light of my own spiritual flaws, deficiencies, and persistent struggle with sin? All of this trauma and drama just leaves you wondering, how is God at work, and how should I respond? Well, here's one word I want you to remember. Rescue. Rescue. Last year I saw a movie about rescue. Director Cassie Lemons gave us the movie Harriet. It's a biopic of a renowned icon, Harriet Tubman. Tubman, or Minty, as she was known as a slave, managed to escape from the hands of her slave owners in Maryland in 1849. After her escape, she was involved in multiple round-trip adventures into the South to free countless others in bondage. One gripping scene has Harriet returning to Maryland to rescue her sister, and she employs her sister Rachel to come with Harriet on this grand rescue mission. Harriet's confident. She has a plan, and she calls Rachel to be a part of the deliverance. But in a tragically complex decision, Rachel listens to Harriet's call, but her response is to turn away from being a part of the rescue. This week, we continue in our sermon series in the book of Exodus, and we want to ask these two questions of the text. What is God doing, and how should I respond? In Exodus chapters 3 and 4, we see God calling Moses to go with him to deliver his people from slavery. From this, we can see Jesus Christ's own call to you today. Go with God on his rescue mission. Go with God on his rescue mission. That's God's word for you today. Go with God on his rescue mission. Now, this will look different for each of you. Now let me show you where I get this idea from Exodus 3 and 4. Here's my first point. How is God at work? Answer, he's rescuing his people. Recall last week in Pastor Sean's sermon how Moses encountered God in the fiery bush that couldn't be destroyed. Well, in today's text, God tells us clearly what he's up to. And he gives a great summary in verses 10 and 12 of chapter 3. Read with me. He says, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And also look down at verse 17, where he says, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. God could not be more clear here. He is rescuing his people out of bondage, out of slavery, out of affliction. 
Then God spends a few chapters sharing the details of the rescue plans, what and who Moses will take with him, and specifically, what to say to Pharaoh during the rescue. Now look down in chapter 4, verse 22, where we read, Then shall you say to Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And now I want you to note three things about God's rescue plan here in the text. First, it's for his children. God's rescue plan is for his children. You see that in verses 22 and 23 as God declares, Israel is my firstborn son, and then let my son go. What we see is that though God loves every human in one sense, he loves his children in a special rescuing way. To his children, God's love is covenantal. God has pledged to Abraham about his descendants, I will be their God. This type of love is shown most clearly as Jesus comes to die especially for God's chosen. In John 10, we read, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and, and they know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep are all who turn to Jesus. He offers forgiveness of sins through his death. And if you're listening today and never trusted in Christ's death as payment for your sins, I just want to urge you to trust in him today. You can know God's special love for his children. Exodus 4 teaches us something else. Here's my second point here. and teaches us that God's rescue it's a rescue to himself. God rescues people unto himself. Look in verse 23. We see God say, Let my son go that he might serve me. Later the Israelites look foolish as they grumble in the desert that God rescued them just to have them die of starvation. The opposite is actually true. As we later see in the life of Jesus, those who truly come to God will be satisfied by the bread of life, the true living water. You know, this week I was chatting with a friend of mine who goes to another church. He was telling me how when he was growing up, he couldn't wait to leave his parents' house. When he hit 19, boom, he was out. And then he describes his story as running directly away from God. It wasn't until later in his life that God rescued my friend. Uh, but when God saved him from his own self-destruction, God didn't just abandon him. God brought my friend to himself. Today, my friend is staring down the barrel of yet another onslaught of cancer. And as he undergoes treatment, he shared with me how God is now with him and for him. He speaks of his own death with hope, celebrating life eternal that he'll have with God. At the very end of chapter 4, we see God's people realizing the reality of God's rescue, and they joyfully commune with God. As the text says in verse 31, And the people believed, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a picture of God's children enjoying his presence. When God rescues us, it is a rescue unto himself. 
So we see that God is rescuing his children and bringing them to himself. And thirdly, about God's rescue plan, I want you to see this from the text. God rescues through judgment. God rescues through judgment. In verse 23, God reveals in shocking bluntness that if Pharaoh does not relent, God says, I will kill your firstborn son. This continues a pattern we see throughout the Bible. God rescues through judgment. Adam was saved through God's judgment on the serpent and Adam's own alienation from the garden. The wickedness of his descendants resulted in God saving Noah through the flood judgment. Noah's descendants were so self-righteous that God confused their language at the Tower of Babel. And now we arrive at a Pharaoh who we learn from history wore a serpent on his crown. He enslaved God's people. He declares the Hebrew sons should be thrown into a river and he denies the living God. Make no mistake, wherever there is evil, God in his holy, glorious justice will eventually settle the score. Here's God's response to his covenant children's affliction. It will be to slay the firstborn of all Egypt, including Pharaoh's own son. Judging the oppressors will make way for Israel, God's children, to be rescued. And later in the Bible story, we will see that God deals with our evil rebellion by placing judgment on Jesus. He rescues you from sin and Satan by offering his own firstborn son to die in your place. As Matt Redman writes in his famous song, Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed the guilty world in love. So in Jesus, we see that God rescues through judgment, just as he does in our text. Now, let's go back to our original question. We asked the question, how is God working? And in Exodus 3 and 4, he is rescuing his people. Now, what about today? During our global pandemic, God continues to rescue people. We have reports from all over the world that interest in the gospel is increasing. Lost souls are being converted. And also, people are focusing on prayer and Sabbath rest more than ever. Uh, through technology, redemptive relationships are going deeper instead of broader. God is busy rescuing his people. Now, let's move to our second question. How should I respond? If God is rescuing people, how should I respond? Here's the answer. Go with it. Go with it. Now let's look at how Moses responds to God's work. Now keep in mind, as we eavesdrop on this conversation with God and Moses, Moses is not held up as our example. Rather, and this is crucial, in this conversation, God reveals himself as empowering and helping Moses. And that means as you respond to God, know that he is empowering you. Now check out the conversation Moses has with God, beginning in chapter 3, verse 11. Moses has been told he is to come along and lead God's rescue plan in Egypt. He reacts by asking a question. Look at verse 11. Who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Man, I cringe at Moses' lack of self-worth because I can relate to it so easily. Who am I to share Christ in my neighborhood? They know I'm not perfect. Who am I to teach a class in KTC with the children? I can't live up to the gospel message. Who am I to ask God's forgiveness again for the same old sin? Won't he see that I'm a phony? If God knows the depths of my thoughts and all my past failures, surely I can't stand as his representative. Maybe you can't relate to Moses as he parts the Red Sea, but I bet you can relate to this Moses, the one who asked the question, who am I to be involved in any capacity with God's rescue plan? Now at this point, I want you to ask, if you were with Moses, how might you have counseled him in this moment? What might you have said when Moses asks the question, who am I to do this? Well, some of you are naturally encouragers, and you may have just pointed to his positives, try to build him up, cheer him up. You can say, Moses, you're a fine shepherd. You got a nice wife, a wonderful child. In the movies, you have a real cool beard. You're not such a bad dude. Some of you might try to help him uh, by allowing him to work through his past. You might say, Moses, you're just feeling unworthy because of your birth order. Or these feelings probably stem most from your family history. Hey, you were plucked from a river during your earliest developmental stage and raised in a foreign palace. That's some real trauma. Also, you're a third culture kid. Let's explore that identity. That wouldn't be a bad approach. Some of you might say, I want to help you understand your personality, Moses. Your reaction is a natural for anyone who's an Enneagram 3. You worry too much how people uh, look at you. Or maybe what you're feeling is common to those of us who are introverts. All of these would be understandable ways to counsel Moses. What's surprising and shocking is that God takes a different path here. What does God say? Moses asks, who am I to do this? And in verse 12, God answers, but I will be with you. Amazing. Amidst all Moses' self-doubt and reservations and feeling of inferiority, God tells him the most important thing we all need to know. God is with you. This tells us the type of rescue operation God is running here. He is all up in the saving. He's there in the rescue. Now contrast this with some other types of deliverance. For instance, maybe you've seen the old Tom Hanks movie, Castaway. In it, Hanks' character Chuck Nolan is saved from a plane crash in the ocean by an inflatable raft. He winds up alone on this desert island, overwhelmed by loneliness. Now to combat his destitute, Chuck draws a face on a volleyball and talks to him, calling that volleyball Wilson. That's some kind of lonely. But God's salvation is not like that. God is personally present in the rescue. And we see this as we examine Moses' conversation with God. Remember the movie Harriet I mentioned previously. In Harriet, when she did her rescues, she would lead her people.
personally. She wouldn't leave them in the woods alone. She would guide them through the swamps, telling them which steps to take. They would follow closely behind her. She might hold her hand or hug them or comfort them and warm words she would give to them. And over 10 years, Harriet personally rescued over 300 slaves and she never lost a single one. That's the type of rescue that God is doing. He's personal. He's there. And what you begin to see in the story here in Exodus is that each time Moses raises an issue with his part in God's mission, God will remind him of his nearness. Now look at the next part of the conversation. Look in chapter 3, verse 13. Read what Moses says. Moses says this. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? A translation, I don't know you well enough, God, to explain you to others. And you may have felt this way too. You may have thought, God, I don't have Bible verses memorized. I'm not a theological thinker. I don't understand why you do half the stuff you do. If you confuse me, how can you use me? That's the question Moses has here. And God's answer is just as similar to the last exchange. He says in verse 14, he says, I am who I am. That's surprising. God says, I am who I am. And he says, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What does God mean by saying, just tell him I am? Well, it could be emphasizing his self-existence here or his eternal constancy. But in Hebrew, the word can be translated, I will be. I am can mean I will be. And in light of the surrounding context, at least a part of what God seems to be doing here and saying is I will be near. Don't bog yourself down with what you don't know about me. Go forward and trust in what you do know, I will be with you. At this point, one thing you must remember is that God seems content with Moses' questions. His struggles seem legitimate, and God is loving and patient with the interchange. I want to encourage you to pour your heart out to God when you don't understand Him. He's the God of the distraught, He's the God of the confused. Later in the Bible, we see Jesus identifying himself as I am. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. This COVID-19 season is a splendid time to come to Jesus with your questions and perplexities. He will satisfy you. As you go on his rescue mission, his presence will be your manna. Now let's look at the third exchange between Moses and God. Moses responds, as you skip on down to chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says this, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Have you ever felt that you shouldn't speak up for God because you know it won't make a difference? My parents aren't going to believe me, so why should I share what God is doing? I know that girl in my class doesn't believe in God, so why should I witness to her? My neighbor is obviously a Muslim. I can tell by the head covering. 
she won't believe what I share about Jesus. Why should I do it? You need to know that God understands this frustration. Listen to his answer. God says in verse 2 of chapter 4, Hey, what's that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. And God says, throw it on the ground. So Moses throws it on the ground and it becomes a serpent. Moses takes off running from it. But the Lord said to Moses, now put it in your hand and catch it by the tail. Imagine being in that scene, grabbing a snake by the tail. So Moses puts his, down his hand and he catches the snake by the tail. And it becomes a staff again in Moses' hand. God is working a miracle with the staff. And he does it, he says in verse 5, so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has appeared to you. Through this staff of God, the Lord is with Moses in power. Once again, God responds to Moses' objection by saying, I am with you. And now the emphasis is on God's power to make people believe. When we struggle with doubts that people will believe, we must remember God is with us to make them believe, to overcome them by his Holy Spirit and his glory. Our job is to share. The Spirit's role is to turn the hearts of stone into soft, believing hearts of flesh. This week, I stopped by a local small business to talk to the owner of the place. It's a shop that I've been frequenting for years. And as I talked with the owner, he shared with me a real cool story that I didn't really know. Now, I've known the owner's son for a while. He's a friend of mine. And uh, I also knew that the owner's son had a dramatic conversion as an adult to Jesus Christ. So I, I was talking to the shop owner. He said to me, what really uh, was used by God to turn my son to Jesus was all the times years ago when you and another guy would walk into this shop and share about Jesus. <laughs> now let me assure you of this. I am no gifted evangelist, but I do try to talk about Jesus with different people. But in this case, I remember some of those conversations that I had with the shop owner's son I remember thinking, he's working, he's not going to believe me, why am I sharing, why am I doing this, is this working at all, I'm bumbling my words, that's not what I meant to say. And now this week, here I am years later, and I hear that God's power, in spite of me, was being used. He used these words to rescue one of his lost children, so you never know how God in his power can overcome people and grant them belief. Now Jesus himself assured us that even though some might reject him, many will believe and be saved by his power. For instance, in John 6, 37 and following, Jesus says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. It's by the power of Christ alone that the Spirit raises his people up. 
So don't be bogged down by the fear that some may not believe. On this rescue mission, Christ will save all who come to him. Now look at the fourth part of the exchange between Moses and God in Exodus 4. Moses is going to reveal his own physical limitations. Moses says, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Have you ever felt like your gifts weren't enough? You're not the most gifted speaker or language learner. You're not even a people person. Or you're not really comfortable with how you look. Or crowded spaces make you anxious. Hey, God gets that. And he can handle this. Look at his response. God says, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You don't approach a Da Vinci painting to point out the flaws in the Mona Lisa. Better off trusting the creator. That's why God will say in verse 12, Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What a creative way for God to once again express his nearness. I will be with your mouth. Now just go. Go and know that I'm with you. And now this area of physical limitations or body image problems, it's the only place where Moses seems to move beyond innocent questions to outright fear of man. In light of the speech problem, he begs God in verse 13, Oh my Lord, please send somebody else. Moses' lack of trust in God's ability to work through him is the only time in the whole conversation that we hear the Lord's anger is kindled against Moses. Well, thankfully, this kindling never blazes as the Lord promises to be near to Moses by using his brother Aaron. Aaron's a good speaker, so God will speak with Moses, and then Moses will share with Aaron, and then Aaron will be the mouthpiece to the people. As chapter 4 winds down, we see Moses taking the staff of God, gathering his family who are consecrated to God, and he goes. He who was rescued stumbles headlong into the grander rescue mission. And as he does, he joins forces with Aaron, and together they reveal God's purposes to his people. What a beautiful example of God being near to us through others. Since God's Spirit is in all of his children, he'll often come near to you through other people in the church. The idea of blessing one another is seen around a hundred times in the New Testament. Jesus implored you in John 15, 12, love one another as I have loved you. And Apostle Paul echoes this in Romans 12, 10, when he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. So as you set out on God's rescue mission, remember that you are not alone. He is with you through other people. Now, let's just take a moment to make sure the story in Exodus intersects with you as you live life here in the triangle. None of us know what's going to happen even this week with COVID-19, not to mention months from now. This morning I read an NBC News article 
is sharing how different health experts have conflicting models for the future. Clearly, none of us fully understand this thing. But we do know that God promises to be rescuing his people to himself. So God will use this time to snatch his people out of the hands of Satan and into the family of God. But how should we respond? Well, here's the secret when you think about your response. How should you respond? Get on board with God's rescue knowing that God is with you. In other words, focus on your mentality more than your methodology. Hone in on your mentality more than your methodology. Your mentality should always be, as I reach out, I know God is with me. This week in my community group, I was reminded of how specific responses to God's rescue mission during this season are going to look wildly different. As we were praying for people in our world, one brother I find out is reaching out to comfort an abuse victim. A neighbor had a severe stroke, so in one family, they're speaking words of rescue to him. One guy is praying for high school students to see Jesus. A single woman in our group is virtually involved with sharing Christ with folks in California. Two of us are in different arenas of the healthcare industry, living, striving to live missionally. One sister gives food to those who are hungry. One man is pleading for his parents to trust in Christ alone. Here's my point. In my group, these group members are all responding during COVID-19, knowing God is going to rescue his children from destruction. You can also respond in a way that will be distinct to who you are, your stage and sphere of life. My prayer, as you will remember, God is with you as you go. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for our time in the Word this morning. And I ask you, I beg you, God, to continue to go with your people on your rescue mission. Let us know how we can respond to your working during this season. Give us hope. Give us comfort. Give us the assurance that you are with us. Christ has saving power and that we can be a part of your deliverance program, your rescue mission. Give us the unction to go now. Inspire us. Thrust us forward by your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.